Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. I'm Catherine Rolfe and today I'm joined by Dr John Peter from the UCT Lung Infection and Immunity Unit. He's currently based at the University of Oxford TB Jenner Institute. He's one of the authors of an article which compares two tuberculosis screening methods in a primary care setting in Cape Town, South Africa. Before we start, just a note about the sound quality. Unfortunately, it's not quite as clear as usual, so apologies for that. But let's move straight on to our first question. Dr Peter, thank you for joining us today. Could you start by telling us about the background and rationale to this study? The successful diagnosis of TB requires both adequate sputum sampling as well as an effective diagnostic test. And I think this is often not thought about and neglected. In high burden settings, especially in countries in sub-Saharan Africa where there's a big co-epidemic of HIV, more than 50% of TB cases starting treatment in DOTS programs are in fact either smear negative or cannot produce expectorated spontaneous sputum. So consequently, it is a big burden of smear negative and sputum scarce TB. And these patients, it's well established, have delays in their diagnosis. They often default care prior to actually being shown to be culture positive and also they have a higher cost related to their care both from the patient level requiring back and forth from clinics in terms of their ongoing investigations and also from a healthcare system level where patients are required to see doctors for more than one or more visits and also have additional investigations such as chest x-rays and I think even in light of the new exciting developments of expert MTB assay sort of replacing smear microscopy and frontline diagnosis sputum sample collection is still remaining a key bottleneck in the diagnostic pathway. So consequently, because of that, we were really interested in investigating simple methods that we could use to improve sputum sample acquisition. And then we wanted to focus on methods that would be feasible to perform in resource-limited settings by TB clinic nursing staff. So we focused in on two sputum sampling methods, which we thought were most applicable and potentially feasible to use in primary care settings. The first of these was just simple healthcare worker provided instruction and supervision. And this simple method really where patients are trained on what a sputum sample is, how best to expectorate sputum, and then they're supervised in actually doing the collection of their samples. So that's the one technique. And then in comparison to that, the second technique we wanted to look at was the induction of sputum using ultrasonic nebulization of hypertonic saline solution. Sputum induction has been quite well studied actually and has been shown to increase smear and culture-based diagnosis for smear-negative patients. But this really has been confined to a hospital setting, and one of the main issues around sputum induction is infection control concerns. Excitingly, in some parts of South Africa, there have been a number of low-cost infection control booths that have been built at primary care facilities, and this is really making the use of induction feasible in the primary care setting. So really, with those backgrounds, we weren't really certain which method would be preferable as an initial sampling method in a primary care setting. There's been no randomized control trials of sputum induction previously performed and very limited data from primary care settings. And then lastly, there's actually no sort of direct comparison between these techniques that's ever been looked into. So I think those are the main background behind why we decided to undertake this study. What were the key findings of the study and why was time to treatment initiation considered the most important outcome to study? So I think it's worth focusing on the second part of that question first. Just from the sort of common sense point of view, early and improved diagnosis of TB can only really be of benefit if it leads to earlier and more accurate initiation of anti-TB treatment. So in the clinical practice setting in primary care environments, there are really a number of factors that go beyond simply 
how accurate a diagnostic test is or the yield of a diagnostic test that can influence or impact on the patient in terms of initiating treatment. So factors such as the length of time to a diagnosis. So for instance, if you take TB culture, this may make a diagnosis of TB in a patient, but by the time the result is available, the patient may not come back or in fact be untraceable. So that can be a factor that actually affects the end outcome of treatment initiation in the patient. The other being the ability to perform a test on site. If you need to take your samples away and perform them in a reference lab due to complex laboratory infrastructure, that can also have an influence. And then finally, local empiric treatment practices based on clinical findings differ across different prevalence settings and in different HIV environments. So really with that recognition, the WHO and TB diagnostic working groups are now calling for diagnostic studies that assess patient important outcomes. And these include things like the time to treatment initiation, the proportion of people initiating TB treatment, and things like TB-related morbidity or mortality. So I think that's really the rationale of why we looked at those endpoints as a focus. And interestingly, I think the main findings of our study really highlight the imperative for diagnostic studies to evaluate these outcomes. So to move on with that context, the key findings of our study were that a similar overall proportion of patients undergoing sputum induction or simple healthcare worker instruction initiated TB treatment in the eight weeks post-enrollment, and this was about 25% in each group. Patients that underwent healthcare work instruction had no side effects from sampling, and if one looked at same-day diagnostic techniques, namely smear microscopy and expert MTB with assay, there was the same yield in both the patients undergoing instruction and sputum induction. And finally, the sampling costs of the procedure were significantly lower for instructed versus induction. What we did note, interestingly, though, was that sputum induction as a tool for sampling could more often give you an adequate sample, and also that culture-based diagnostic yield was higher. But this didn't translate into more patients being on treatment all the time to treatment being earlier, and that was in the context of patients being able to receive reviews by doctors and to get chest x-rays. So the bottom line message from our findings was that healthcare worker provided instruction by primary care clinicians should really be the initial sputum sampling strategy for adults with suspected smear negative and sputum scarce TB. And this is especially true even more so in patients in places where induction facilities are not available or where the use of a culture may not alter treatment decisions. So for instance, in low drug resistant environments. And how should your findings be interpreted in light of the World Health Organization's same-day strategy for testing of sputum samples? Our study findings are really in keeping with this WHO strategy and we think very synergistic with this initiative and this policy. I mean, sputum smear microscopy remains the cornerstone of TB diagnostics in the majority of resource-limited high TB burden settings. So the aim of this WHO initiative or strategy was really to improve the report of smear microscopies to the same day in primary care clinics. And this was in order to decrease those things that I mentioned before, such as diagnostic delays, reducing unnecessary clinic visits for patients, and overall in reducing defaulting and improving the quality of care. But this initiative focuses on patients that spontaneously expectorate sputum, so not the group that we focused on. And we think that if healthcare work instruction could be widely introduced into clinics, which it's currently not, and staff appropriately trained, that using on-site sputum smear microscopy facilities, which are encouraged in the strategy, 
could further increase diagnostic yields in primary care by about 10 to 12 percent, which was this sort of smear microscopy overall yield in the healthcare worker instructed group. So I think that our findings really synergize with that strategy. Should your results be interpreted differently for those working in HIV endemic and non-endemic settings? The study was performed in a high TB burden HIV endemic setting and the HIV prevalence in our study was 36%. So I think extrapolation to non-endemic and low prevalence HIV settings should be made cautiously and ideally our findings should be confirmed in those settings. The reason for this is because of the potential number of factors that could influence our primary outcome, namely overall proportion of patients initiating treatment and the time to treatment. So to give an example for this, impaired treatment treatment use may be quite different in an HIV endemic and non-endemic setting. And the reason for this is that clinicians, for instance, in an HIV endemic primary care setting, they are aware of the higher prevalence of TB in HIV co-infected patients, the fact that TB is often palsy bacillary in HIV co-infected patients and also carries a higher morbidity and mortality. And consequently, they may have a reduced threshold for initiating empiric TB treatment based on simply clinical or chest x-ray grounds. And thus, the small difference we noted in culture-based diagnosis with induction may actually make a difference in a non-endemic setting. However, in counterpoint to this is the fact that sputum induction has shown really that it's of even more benefit with higher yield in HIV-infected patients. So I think that there's reasons that could affect the findings and therefore confirmation in a non-endemic setting should be performed. And finally, what clinical impact will your findings have and what is the next research priority for the field? I think our findings have important clinical impacts, firstly for primary care clinicians and public health programs in HIV endemic and high burden settings. Um, The recommendation to use simple healthcare worker provided instruction as an initial sputum sampling strategy in adult patients with suspected smear negative and sputum scarce TB is an important clinical recommendation. I think this intervention can both improve patient care on an individual patient basis with making more diagnoses earlier in a primary care setting and also from a public health program by, again, earlier diagnosis, decreasing transmission in the community. So I think that's the first and most important impact. But I also think that the study will give primary care TB clinicians a better understanding of the limited benefits of sputum induction and this in the context of other investigations that are performed in these settings, such as chest x-ray and also in terms of the context of routine empiric treatment. And I think that's an important perspective for clinicians to get. And then finally, I think in the context of all the diagnostic research based on expert MTB RIF assay, this is one of the first studies in sputum induction with expert performed on induced sputum samples. And it shows how the two groups even with simple instruction, actually are similar with expert. And then how even when we have expert, we still might have diagnostic difficulties and challenges in this smear negative and sputum scarce group. So that's from a sort of individual clinic point of view. And I think then from a policy point of view, our findings provide important advocacy for national TB programs to roll out training of healthcare workers at the clinics in terms of simple sputum sampling instruction and that this should be incorporated into diagnostic algorithms perhaps even at a WHO level. And this certainly currently isn't happening. And then lastly, I think that our study is important within the context of the TB diagnostic research landscape. It's one of only a few randomized controlled trials of a diagnostic TB intervention. The study endpoints go beyond simple evaluation of accuracy to look at these 
education important impacts. And I think the STAG TB group of the WHO is now recognizing these diagnostic studies evaluating patient important outcomes as the highest evidence grade for policy recommendations. So I think it's part of the early move in the TB diagnostic landscape, which is going to lead to a better evidence base. In terms of research priorities for this patient group, which is a vulnerable patient group, smear negative and sputum scarce TB, I think the first would be, as discussed earlier, confirmation in non-endemic high burden settings with low HIV prevalences like India. The other option would also be to now evaluate a two-step strategy where sputum induction is performed only in people that fail simple healthcare worker provided instruction or produce a smear negative sample using that method and that would need to be evaluated and then also to look at other alternative methods completely for enhanced sputum acquisition and there are various new disposable oscillatory devices that are receiving some study which could be used in a primary care setting and are showing interesting results and then finally I think one must look at non-sputum diagnostics and we've been very interested in evaluating urine based antigen detection tests such as the urine lamb assay for HIV infected patients so I think that those would be the three or four main research priorities for this group moving forward. Dr Peter thank you for speaking with the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Thank you.